All right, I have no idea if that intro worked this morning because it didn't show on my end. Did it show on your guys' end at all? Yeah, it did. All right, awesome. Because that's why I started and stopped it, so it's going to look weird. I just had like a blank yeah. blue wall on my end, so I'm glad that it played for everybody else. But welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Sir with Insider Perks. Here, as always, with Kara Brodegam from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. We've got a super exciting show for you today, talking about glamping trends, things of that nature. We've got uh, David here. He's going to introduce himself in a second. Tom Mason introduce himself as well. I think Heather's here, a Canadian campground owner. Uh, she's on, but she doesn't have her camera on yet. So I will uh, let her join once she has a chance to get set up. But uh, got a, quite a bit we're going to cover today. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, we can pull in your chats and things like that from Facebook if you're watching us live. Uh, and then uh, remember, we are available as a podcast too. And it's on our website, uh, mcfiresidechats.com if you want to catch it later. So um, let's just go around real quick and introduce ourselves. So I think we both know uh, or all know David uh, from his conferences and things like that. But David, tell us a little bit about uh, you and what you've been up to lately. Um, sure. Uh, my name is David Kors. I'm one of the owners of the Glamping Show USA and our new trade magazine, Glamping Business Americas. And getting ready for the October event, we're incredibly excited. Uh, we get to do this live and in person as opposed to digitally the way we had to do last year. Um, so we're busy and, and getting set for October. Um, I frankly, cannot wait to see people live and in person uh, the way we did. Gosh, 2019 was the last time. So welcome back, everybody. Definitely excited to be back. So Tom, tell us a little bit about you. Hi, my name is Tom Mason. Uh, I head up uh, the IB Group, which is a third party management company. Uh, we presently have uh, nine resorts and campgrounds that we manage, and we're in a variety of different states across the U.S., and, uh, and so far, you know, we've had a nice year so far and continue to look forward to a busy summer as we head into that. Awesome. So I know we have a couple of Canadian park owners who are supposed to join us here as well to kind of discuss uh, adding glamping to their parks and run some ideas back and forth. We do only have David for a half hour. He's got way more important things to do than chat with us for a full hour. <laughs> so, uh, David, I want to just Start a little bit with you and maybe focus a little bit more on you and like Tom, we're going to talk to you, but we'll focus more on you maybe in the second half. Of yeah, that's fine. A time thing here, but David, um, we know about the glamping conference is coming in October, but before we get started into this, just tell us a little bit about the magazine and all of the things that, that brought you to start that. It, um, I would love to say it was a, a carefully thought out strategic decision to launch, uh, but not so much. Our our UK partners publish a magazine called International Glamping Business. They do 14,000 print issues, um, uh, issues uh, in the UK and Western Europe, another 14,000 internationally, digitally. And at the 2019 show, they did a special edition in print and brought it over from England uh, as our show directory and magazine. And they did the same thing again digitally when we did the virtual show last year. And we get literally hundreds of people saying, when's the next magazine coming out? So we talked to uh, partners and they said, sure, we can make this an American kind of uh, event or publication. Um, and we decided U.S. was probably too limited because in the virtual event, we had so many people from not just Canada, but Latin America who attended. So mm -hmm. we changed the name to Glamping Business Americas. It's quarterly, it's digital. Uh, we have, it's kind of amazing, we have over 4,000 subscribers. Uh, subscriptions are free. 
and you can register on our website. Um, a little over 3,000 here in the States, a little over 300 in Canada, and over 500 in Latin America. So it's the business of grounding. Uh, the idea is that every article you read, all the content will either give you business content either to improve or to launch or to understand something that's happening in the industry you can use to make tomorrow a little more productive than yesterday. Uh, first issue is February. Our third issue is coming out in about three weeks. Um, subscriptions are up 5%, a little more than that since we launched. And so far, so good. Um, there you go. So I know that, I know Kara has a bunch of questions. I have a bunch of questions. We want to talk about all things glamping and stuff like that. But, but what are some things that you've covered in the magazine or your team has covered in the magazine that really you think are maybe some important topics we should be talking about right now with the glamping industry as a whole? Uh, it, it's a difficult question because there's magazines so are reasonably substantial. Right, so, so much. Yeah, yeah, I'm just asking for one or yeah, two. No, I, things well, some of the content that I'm been most interesting to me, um, you guys probably are familiar with um, Anne and Mike Howard from Honey Trek. Um, or if you aren't, you should find out who Honey Trek is. It's kind of a great story about the, the, uh, the honeymoon that has never ended. Um, <laughs> but they're talking about the customer experience, the guest experience. And they've been to a couple of hundred uh, sites around the world over the last five or six years. So they're kind of giving best practices from that point of view. Um, got content on disaster recovery and disaster planning and the different kinds of structures and uh, you know, features on tents one issue and on yurts and teepees and the next issue and I can't even remember what's coming up the next one. So with all due respect, it's pretty broad based. I would rather you just went and looked at the free issue. Um, again, it costs nothing to read it uh, and to review it and it's available on our site. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so let's talk about, let's, I mean, what, what do we have first, Kara? Like, take it in a direction for me. So I think, yeah, it's such, it, this is such too. a big topic. Yeah, Heather, feel free to join in with us at any time. I think for me, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing specifically about kind of the decision-making process that maybe goes into uh, making the choice to diversify maybe your your existing business this way um, and then you know the specific logistical challenges and, and hurdles that are typically required to jump to get from a point of making that choice and then you know opening a glamping site for rental um, so you know to me that there's all kinds of logistics around infrastructure requirements um, things like uh, reservation strategies you know maybe you're you're listing those sites in a different way than you would would uh, you know make your RV sites reservable um, on uh, also things like weather and seasonality and you know maintenance of these units and things like that there's so many deciding factors that go in so maybe let's start I think personally with uh, the infrastructure requirements I think that's a big logistical uh, point for making the choice to go this way. Do, do we typically do we see glamping units require power and water and sewer connection? Is that typical or are they starting to go that way? Who are you, are you asking? Anybody, everybody, anybody. All, everybody. Yeah. Probably, probably you primarily, David, because you've got more yeah. experience with these vendors and seeing and talking to them, right? 
for the most part, um, the answer in terms of having to hook up to electricity um, and to sewage and stuff is not so much. I think right. people are tending to make this an extension of traditional camping. It's just the structure and the amenities are very different. Mm -hmm. It's still about the experience. Um, right. It depends where you are too. Being on a mountaintop sure. in Montana, a little bit more challenging than being in suburban Santa Barbara, California, where things are easier to get to. So it's it's a very much a location-centric decision. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. all of our vendors are prepared to service new clients that don't have access to those kinds of utilities and infrastructure and with, with sustainable power alternatives and whether it's solar or wind or, or other mm -hmm. options and other kinds of bathroom and shower and toilet options. Uh, yeah. I think you can find sustainable alternatives almost regardless of where you are. And the same thing for, for weather and seasonality. Uh, we have a lot of a lot of vendors who are going out of their way to make sure that you know, they take a picture of the structure, you know, at the North Pole and in the middle of the Gobi Desert and say, you can go either place um, with our structure or with our special construction. It's one of the fun yeah. things about the show with the outdoor exhibit area. Um, I don't know who remembers from 2019, but we had 70 degree oh, weather. Yeah, well, 70 degree weather for a day and a half and snow showers on Wednesday afternoon. And our exhibitors wow. were out there saying, see, look, this, this works. We're staying that's mother helping you out yeah thank you yeah, wow we, we paid a little nature. extra for that but um so <laughs> I, I, bet. I think from everybody i talked to the biggest reasons for glamping are to provide a positive alternative for people who want something different or more than traditional camping or rv experience but more importantly a whole new demographic people who yeah. don't own an rv or want to rent one People don't own a tent or a sleeping bag, but still want to experience the wonder of being outside. And suddenly, yeah. it may not be a mint on the pillow at night, but you can just show up and have the experience. And that's just a, a giant demographic that folks can reach out to successfully and perhaps charge a higher overnight rate than, than just for an RV or a traditional camping site. Right. I would, I would say as an operator, David, to your last points there, I think that's kind of what um, for an operator is exciting is that this, if done right, you open up to a whole segment of the population that we wouldn't necessarily have attracted in the past. Yep. And and so I think that's important, you know, like anything, we see this business growing. This I don't think glamping's a trend anymore. I think it's more of a here forever and uh we'll see it continue to grow I, I could be wrong but if you you know reading on on this space and all that it's the fastest growing segment within the camping industry i think yep. and um and i think that will continue for a long period of time um and i think you know you said earlier as an operator for me you know it's about a unique uh lodging um setup um, that's what I would look at. I think location is an important component. Um, no offense, I have a couple parks that we manage that mm -hmm. are exits off a highway. I wouldn't even consider putting anything in there uh, right. related to glamping. So, you know, we want the, the guest and the customer to walk out of their unique lodging and see something spectacular. And then in addition to that, creating an experience within their stay that would 
that they can't accomplish doing anything else. I think that will right. be a big factor in getting them to continue to do this and come back over and over again. Yeah, I think the flexibility, like we were talking about, right, is key, whether it's the hookups or whether it's the ability to do it in all different types of weather or wherever it's at. Uh, and it's interesting because it's, it's a little bit controversial when you go through some of the groups and you hear people talking about Harvest Host. And we had the CEO, it was Joel, I think was his name, yeah. um, on uh, you know a few months ago to talk about this stuff. The flexibility of glamping is interesting. And I know, again, this is super controversial, right? But we're talking primarily because we're talking about campground owners. We talked about adding glamping to your park, and that's going to be a huge driver of the industry growth. But also because you don't need the hookups and you don't need the traditional sewer at all the same places you would at a normal park, these are popping up all over the place. Uh, and, and whether that's good or bad remains to be seen, I think. I'm certainly not going to weigh in with my opinions too early to do that. But uh, it's, it's interesting how big it diversifies. Because you've seen this too, David, right? At some of the, the people who attend the associations, these are like we have clients that have three tents in the middle of a field in Texas that they need marketing. And so they're not a campground. They have no RV sites. They have no real amenities beyond what is included with the tent and they're finding a lot of success it's interesting to us the demographics the people who come to the event um and interestingly it's stayed almost identical for the for the three years we've been doing this it breaks down into almost equal thirds uh, a, a third of the people who read the magazine or come to the show identify themselves as glamping operators whether it's three tents in the middle of a field um, or whether it's pause up in Montana, they're right. just clamping. There's, there isn't a traditional campground or, or RV component to it. The middle third is, and I, I don't know, there's probably a better term, but the one I've heard a lot is mixed use. Mm -hmm. uh, it's what Kara's talking about, someone with an existing RV park or, or traditional campground who's talking about either has done it or in the process of adding glamping to the mix for a variety of reasons. Um, and they've either done it already or they're in the process of giving it serious consideration. And they want to figure out what do I do and what's different? How do I do it? And the final third are the people um, who I think are, are unfairly called the dreamers, the people who you know, <laughs> want, are just entering the business. Yeah. And the reason I say that is this is not people just thinking about it uh, and joining a Facebook group or something. These are people who are flying to Colorado spending hundreds of dollars to go to a conference program, staying in a hotel, they may have the land, they may be some part of the process, but they're very serious about it. They're doing business due diligence and want to figure out what this is all about. And so it's interesting with all three different sectors that are all looking for different solutions and different information to try and figure out what to do next. That's where the conference program comes in or the magazine because the demographics for both are identical. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. I'm, I'm interested to hear about if anybody has any input on how you make the choice between maybe a teepee and an outfitter's tent and a dome. Do you, in your, in your experience so far, do you get to communicate with operators who are making those choices and, and how do they there's so many options. I can't even wrap my brain around it. What we hear from most of our clients is it really is based on, for the most part, it's personal style and preference. It's understanding, yeah. hopefully, the demographic you're trying to reach, but also the environment. Uh, I, you can see that someone would be looking uh, at a teepee 
probably a little more aggressively somewhere in the Rocky Mountains or you know, mm -hmm. up in the Dakotas or someplace, um, right. or down in Florida, because the Seminoles were down there. A teepee yeah. in Roosevelt Island in New York City might be a little less something that someone would pick. So I think style and, and design make a, a, a big part of this. But a lot of it's personal preference. Uh, it's what sure. you think is going to look good, or you feel like this is what I want to sell, this is what I want to market, this gives mm -hmm. me an advantage. One person looking at a treehouse and the, the same person in a different environment will pick a different structure. And that's mm -hmm. what makes it so much fun at the expo when you have all of these things out on four acres of grass. And yeah. as Brian saw last time around, people going from, from a, a wall tent to a yurt, to a covered wagon, to a dome, um, to a bell tent, and just every exhibitor is trying very hard to explain the benefits of his or her solution to the same option. Mm -hmm. One important co component, I think, you're right, there's a lot of choices out there, as, as David pointed out, and, and we've all heard. But I think, again, I would, as I look at moving into this space, I think there's uh, a need for some variety in the location to offer different types of accommodations. Yeah. I think the, the more accommodations you offer, and I mean, you're somewhat limited on you know, the cost structure and whatnot and location, as David pointed out. But I think offering some variety of different types is, uh, again, opens up to a larger group of potential guests and customers. That's how does I think. That, does that all have to be on the same property, though? Because here's, here's what comes to mind, right? And you're a hotel guy, Tom, so you tell me this. Like if I'm looking at, you know, there's there's domes and then there's tents and then there's your, like just take three of the four main categories, right, of, of structures, even if they vary a little bit. Is that almost like a potential for a larger tourism area to have franchises that are different or, or is it a mix on all properties? I, I would look at it again, you know, it's a young industry, I would say, but I would probably take the approach of variety within each site. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's a um, there's a KOA site not too far where we live. It's uh, in Santa Paula, California, and he has at least three and maybe four different kinds of structures within his site. Um, so you can stay in a tent over here, and there's a covered wagon over there. It gives diversity mm -hmm. and some choice to consumers right. who are coming in. Maybe it gives them a reason to come back. I stayed in the wagon last time, and next time I'm going to exactly. stay in, in the year. So. Right. Right. I think it gives you gives the operator an opportunity to say, if you like, if you like being here this time, it isn't the same thing again. Uh, mm -hmm. We're in a hotel, it's maybe I'll check a different room next time or a different style room. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right. So, so it just then, gives you yeah. diversity. It changes the experience. Right. So then For if sure. you're putting that diversity on and you have, like, just, just, let's just pretend you have the choice, right? And Carrie, you stay on a park and Tom, obviously, you manage in, uh, a bunch of them. If you had the choice, then do you, do you have neighborhoods? with all wagons in one area? Do you have them staggered? Do you have like, what is the ideal setup in your mind? Obviously that's different. It's totally opinion based, but. I think it's entirely dependent on your venue. I mean, how much yeah. space you have on the structures? Are they separate? Each has its own kind of space and you can't, your neighbor's not that close away or is it clustered in, mm -hmm. a, in a village where you have 10 structures in an acre or two acres and everybody sees everybody else. I, I think it's a very unique decision for each venue or each site to make based right. on that. I'm just asking your opinion. Like if you had unlimited, like if you were building your own property, you had unlimited funds, what would you do? <laughs> uh, yeah, 
It's, I think I mean, it would really have, depend on. You've never heard, David. You've been in this too long. Everybody <laughs> asks you the same thing. I think it would depend on the the geographical. I mean, there's so many factors. I think you know, if you have a great viewpoint, maybe you pick a different type unit for that specific spot, and then you know, strategize. It, it would, I agree with David. I can't imagine pre-planning that kind of thing without seeing the space first. <laughs> right. Topography would have a big play in what you put and where you put it. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think, although, you know, we've talked about, you know, you know, do they need uh, electrical, sewer, all that, there's probably sure. going to be a component of that arc that would have that. So mm -hmm. that would dictate where maybe you place certain units. So, yeah. but I think in general, there's going to be a sense of neighbor, you know, you'll, you'll clump things together, but I would think again, the variety, I'm, I, I would focus more on uh, variety than having uh, all cabin neighborhood, all teepee neighborhood, all wagon neighborhood. To me, the best part about these glamping options is if you don't like where you put it, you can move it. <laughs> For the most part, most of these units, you can move them and change them and switch things up. So, you know, maybe somebody stays in the same covered wagon every summer, but it's in a different site each each year or whatever. Like, to me, the the uh, just adapt malleability of it is the fundamental, like, greatest single greatest thing about them, in my opinion. Oh, is it me? Do I have to come up with oh. another topic? You have to come up and waiting for somebody else to talk about something. Uh, <laughs> so we got about we have about a couple more minutes with David. He's got to go. Um, David, with all of the things that you've seen in this industry, where and I, and I, I'm trying to think of questions that you haven't been asked before. But where where do you see the hotels playing a role in glamping? Do do they do they do they start franchises that are totally glamping? Is there a Marriott type? thing that, that is in, inevitable is it coming or how do you view that well it's it's already here I and mean, marriott opened up their indonesian property a couple of years ago it's just it's an entirely glamping site mm -hmm. and I, I i think the hotels haven't quite yet figured this out tom's point about you know it's, he thinks it's here to stay and i agree with him as opposed to being a fad um i just don't think they quite know what they're going to do but i can't imagine they'll stay out of a profitable sector it gives them an opportunity to expand. It's just whether whether somebody opens up a dedicated glamping site uh, or whether they add glamping to an existing site. We have there's one of my favorite resort hotels is close to where we live, and um, they've got 350 rooms over 200 acres. They're all spread out in the golf course and this, all the spots just just beautiful. Um, but they have a couple of acres of open property, which is often a corner, which is undeveloped. And we've talked about it with them a couple of times just for fun. Um, and they're they're thinking about it and just maybe creating a glamping site within the infrastructure of the whole hotel. Mm -hmm. Their questions are things like, do we offer room service to those places? Or is, mm -hmm. it, is room service not part of this? Because room service now is all done by golf carts. I mean, there is no central place. It's all distributed over the 200 acres. Mm -hmm. So I know the conversations are happening, whether it's happening at a, a corporate Marriott level or whether it's independent hoteliers who are thinking about doing something. I guess it will shake out. I know we had 
We had some hoteliers who attended the 2019 conference um, as visitors, as conference delegates. Um, haven't seen any register yet because we just opened registration for October. Sure. But it would have surprised me to see some badges out there uh, as you're walking around the floor. When is the conference, David? October oh, 1? Thank you, Sarah. I was waiting for someone to ask the question. <laughs> uh, the, the normal exhibition and conference is Tuesday and Wednesday, October 5th and 6th. We're going back to Aurora, Colorado, same venue we had two years ago. The one Great. thing we're doing, uh, we've added, uh, which is going to be kind of fun, we've added a half-day pre-show workshop on Monday the 4th. Uh, it's been sponsored by the American Glamping Association. It's Thanks. for people who are either brand new or relatively new, and it's called Glamping Business Basics. It's an idea of getting somebody up to speed on Monday for a half day from 1, 1 to 4.30 before the full conference comes on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, we weren't sure if this would work, so we launched it, and we're a little flabbergasted. Um, uh, the first 20 conference registrations we received when we opened 18 of them chose to take the workshop also as opposed to Good. just the two days so now people are making a three-day commitment to come into the show and on the exhibitor side i'm excited to say we have international exhibitors we have us obviously canada mm -hmm. mexico is new uh england ireland is new the netherlands uh, south africa uh, australia and the newest country to join the team is we have our first exhibitor from japan so fabulous the trade show floor now is about 150% of the size we finished in 2019. Um, well, so I think the show is reflecting all the things we're talking about here. Uh, it looks like it's going to be here for quite a long while. And there are a lot of new people and existing people trying to figure out how best to integrate and serve the industry. And hopefully the event gives them a platform for education and networking and, and shopping. Mm -hmm. Before you, before you have to leave, David, and obviously we know that the conference is a great resource. We know that the Clamping Business America magazine is a great resource. Where would you send people to get information on a consistent basis throughout the year? If they're either a park operator or have land or wherever else, where should they go to get this information? Um, if they're looking for current stuff and frequent conversations like this one, um, I'd have to recommend the American Glamping Association. They literally have Wednesday calls with uh, open to all the members every week nice. for people to network and ask questions. And uh, they have some high-level speakers. Uh, Ruben and his team have done an outstanding job. The membership has grown dramatically. They're the ones who are helping produce this workshop we talked about. So right. on literally a weekly basis, there's a chance to interact with the AGA. Um, Magazine is a great resource. It's quarterly, but it's online. You can see it anytime you want to. Um, the show is only once a year, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's the third chance to jump in up to here uh, and spend three days just really immersing yourself in all the things we're doing. Um, beyond that, I don't have any other positive suggestions. Well, and I think that's participating in this, by the way. Yeah, good. <laughs> Well, thank you, David. I appreciate your time yeah, this morning. I know we have you. to run, uh, but yeah, that's a definitely a good start. And I didn't honestly like I've heard the name American Glamping Association, but I guess I didn't pick, I didn't put it together as much as uh, I should. American Glamping Association, based in Denver, uh, Ruben Martinez, who's also the CEO of Glamping Hub, is yep. one of the founders. Um, they actually launched the association during our event in 2019, so it's yeah. pretty new, and they're getting very, very good traction. 
Um, I mean, just a guest speaker will come in on, on Wednesday to talk about funding and financing. You know, what are the options mm -hmm. for how do you get a loan or what do you have to do to qualify? Right. The next week it'll be talking about power supplies and the next week about reservation systems. So, um, so we've been on censure, but it's, it's um, they're doing, they're doing, we love working with them and I think they're doing a really good job for the industry. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I thank hope you. I'll see you all in October. That would be really nice. Hope so. Yeah, yep. that would I'll be nice. Hey, David. Nice <laughs> seeing you. You too, Tom. Thanks, Thanks David. for inviting me, guys. Have a good one. Of course. Have a great day. Heather's <clears throat> here. Like, Heather, can you hear it? I feel like we're letting Heather just kind of, I don't know if she's there. Hang on. But, uh, yeah. Brian, Brian, yeah. To, to your comment about hotels that you asked yeah. David earlier, um, it's, yeah, he's right. He's always had some conversation. In my my eyes, it's more about not if, it's more when. And it's going to happen. And who knows who's going to be the first player and how they'll they'll roll into it. And I know there's, you know, the Marriott I've heard about and that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, you would look to the bigger organizations, Marriott, Hilton, IHG is probably trying to be the ones that jump into it first just because um, they see the opportunity and even more importantly with the recent uh, downturn that the hotel industry has experienced with um, COVID, uh, the resiliency of our markets, our segments has proven to them that um, there's going to be another downturn caused by something else or you know whatever. It's just a, it's more of a cyclical business where our, our world doesn't seem to have those cycles. And I think that will attract, be very attractive to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I uh, I can't see why they wouldn't. <laughs> frankly, so I mean, this. let's let's explore this for a second because I feel like if we talk about this, this is going to also lend some valuable insight to park operators who are considering adding sure. this too. So let's rewind, Tom, and let's say you're still an operator of, a, I forget your exact titles, I know you jumped around, but I know you have a lot of experience in hotels. Uh, so let's say you're still an operator of one of these hotels and you have the opportunity to research, to plan, to organize, to deploy something that is glamping focused. What is your approach to that? How do you begin the process and then how do you get to the point where you're ready to, to build? Um, well, the process starts by doing your research and seeing what this segment, uh, how it performs. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can take cabin rentals at most any of the RV parks and see how they're attractive to people. Um, and I think location is going to be important. If you're in a location that can um, lend itself to unique topographical locations, views, venues, and you can create a unique experience with that. The amenity side's already built into the hotel, so you don't have to recreate that. And uh, you just have to figure out what the lodging is based upon your location. So it's, you have a unique lodging uh, selection. You have uh, the amenities already built into the hotel. The experience in most cases, let's say you're gonna be doing it at a resort hotel, Resort hotels typically already have some sort of level of experience, whether it's you know, horseback riding, kayaking, food shows, wine tasting, those things. So that experiential component's already built in. So, uh, and if you're in the right location, 
you have some of the key factors, all you have to figure out is the accommodation you want to select, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. it, to me, sure. I think like a natural fit for this is Hyatt with some of their large, huge resort properties. But I, I mean, and, and again, there's a lot, like all of them have them. But yeah, thinking, um, I mean, even like Hyatt, like I'm looking at, they have that McDonald's campus, which is right outside Chicago or something. It's just that's correct. natural. Yep. So, there, there, there's plenty of, any operator has, you know, Hilton, Hyatt, IHG, Marriott obviously have um, resorts with additional land and that they could place this in. Yeah. We have a couple of questions on Facebook. Just uh, Valerie's asking, can a cabin with power be considered glamping? So I think this is a an interesting topic too, is uh, people's perception of what classifies as glamping can sometimes be varied. I might, Tom, what's your, what's your position on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I know David talked about, you know, the uh, sustainability component, but I still think you, you need power um, in, in the clamping site is very, it can be considered clamping if you have power, uh, water, all that. That's, you know, it's about the experience and the yeah. unique accommodation and mm -hmm. the amenities inside. And you can add amenities, power can be an amenity, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've. I mean, I've seen parks that have offer like cool, unique, tiny homes and and cabins. Lots of hard sided structures that are are classified Absolutely. as as glamping. Um, so I don't think it's specifically just those really cool, unique, you know, covered wagons and tents and things like that. Um, we we see a broad range of uh, accommodation types. And then um, Maya's asking about um, glamping units that are suitable for winter conditions. So I'd go, I'd, I'd say certainly defaulting to those hindsighted options is probably easiest uh, and, and most likely, but I have to admit, I'm not intimately familiar with the structural capacity stuff related to some of those softer sided, uh, the outfitters tents and things like that. I do know several operators in Canada who, who have those types of structures and do take them down in the winter time. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I would argue that it's probably best, they're probably best, you know, shoulder and summer season uh, only. So Maya, if I were you, I would, I would certainly make a, a hard sided structure choice. Um, and I mean, there's tons of options out there. Right. Yeah. Anything, you know, yeah, I agree. You know, if it's a tent type environment, and you're in the a winter area, that would, you need to take that down. Uh, your season's going to be shorter. And I'd like to go back to the electrical side. I, if I were to build, as Brian offered me the opportunity to build something uh, from scratch, I would probably have more of my units with electricity and water than without. Agreed. Definitely agreed. Like there's a ton of things we can cover here, and I think I initially intended our focus to be more on you know the hotels and the trends and the magazine and things with David and, and Tom here. I think maybe we need to put together another show, Kara, where we feature six or seven of the vendors themselves who can just yes. talk about their products. And mm -hmm. maybe we can on our list. Yes, we should. I think that would be fabulous to really kind of compare options. Um, but you know, I know we did that at our Canadian conference, but. Uh, uh, it'd be great to go over that con content again and um, deep dive with with a few of them, do some comparisons for sure. 
Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, because I think we, we have the sessions at the conferences where we kind of like walk that fine line where we talk about, you know, we don't want to focus too much on one thing and we don't want to always have people selling. We want to have a discussion. So maybe we just do a yeah. show where they can literally just sell, like have a segment of sell me your thing and show me a video and show me your screen and show me whatever and, and give me mm -hmm. your pitch. And maybe yeah, that's I love that idea. In one place, so. mm -hmm. Cool. Sounds great to me. But, I definitely think that would bring value to members for sure. Oh yeah, we have lots of comments happening here. And, and I get uh, like, if you can share them, I don't know, like they're not coming through on my side. I think it has to do with my internet. So uh, no, they're not coming through through restream here for me. I'm I'm on the Facebook, and it's okay. it's they're commenting right on the Facebook group stream. So I think okay, ask, you know. Please, if you, I mean, maybe we can answer. I don't know if we can, but if not, we'll put together. Yeah, we did. We covered Valerie's and, and then there's just some back and forth here now with some, some of the folks watching. So that's great. Um, but, uh, yeah, the groups don't come through our, our comment stream, only the pages. It's just the Facebook restriction, but, but Tom, tell us yeah. while we're reading so, some of these comments. Yeah. I, you know, I would say from a glamping perspective, one thing that's a little bit different than a, uh, if you were to develop a campground resort or anything like that, is the number of sites you could place per acre is probably is should be fewer i would just say than you would in a rv resort mm -hmm. i think what people one in particular component about glamping that people want is space right so right. you know the you know the the density you could create at a clamping resort isn't going to be where near anything where you would do in an RV resort. Um, mm -hmm. Granted, RVers still want you know space between, but you know, on, on five acres you can put a lot of RVs, mm -hmm. where in five acres you can't put as many clamping locations. Right. Only because I think yeah. people are looking for that uh, space between them and their neighbor. But I think the math makes that possible, right? You're talking about a high end of, I mean, outside of some crazy properties of 70 bucks a night, right? To a hundred for an RV where you can get triple that at least for a nice, really nice climbing site. Absolutely. But you have some uh, probably additional operating expenses to some degree, you know, sure. what you, what you provide. But I would say, you know, your, what you would get for that site compared to a more traditional RV resort is, is substantial. And should offset that cost, but that's all uh, calculation you need to go through in determining mm -hmm. how many sites and how close you want them or how far apart you can put them. But, sure. but I think it, that's that's a big difference. People are looking for this, you know. When that's we've talked about location being important, and I said, you know, I, you're not going to put a glamping resort as an exit off of a highway necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, you're looking more for that open space area with venues that they can, you know take their pictures and feel like they've uh, escaped. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested, Tom, to know about the reservation side. I have questions sometimes from campground operators who say like, if I'm going to go down this road and, and add um, glamping options to my park, do you recommend just utilizing the same reservation bookability tools that you're using for the RV portion of your business? Or, or do you, kind of strategize to take advantage of things like Airbnb or um, additional, you know, maybe booking.com or whatever to, to drive more traffic to those sites since the market demographic is different. Um, 
I would do that owning an RV park yeah. or owning a glamping. So yes, you would need to make sure you're utilizing all the different channels that are out there because you don't know. I mean, you may know where you think you know where your customers are coming from, but the mm-hmm. broader reach that you can create in turn creates more calls, in turn creates more band, which is what you're looking for. So Absolutely. you you do want to definitely utilize Booking.com, Expedia, Airbnb, all those third-party channels as much as possible. Yeah. So I think there's, there's two sides here in my mind, right? Like, yes, I 100% agree with Tom. Absolutely. Uh, <coughs> huge the marketing opportunity and Expedia and Travelocity aren't far behind. Uh, and so I, I think that's a, kind of a no-brainer for me. Like, yes, you have to do that uh, if you want mm-hmm. any kind of mass exposure. Uh, I think the way I read some of that question in though is, is do I still use the RDPs and the Astros and the camp bots and the, is that kind of how I'm reading that question too? Um, sometimes that's part of the question. I, you know, I think oftentimes that stuff can come down to just, uh, the logistical, uh, options available to you from your software choices. Um, right. but, uh, definitely both, both sides of, of that question have come up for, with me, uh, for me from, from operators. I think the majority of our software providers are solving those, like uh, the majority of the park management software guys that, that are out there are offering solutions to that problem. Um, I just think from a booking side, especially since so much of this has transitioned to booking online, um, specific to that market demographic shift and and who's booking these types of of accommodations i think it's really wise to be utilizing the tools that those market demographics already use to expose your product to them yeah. go ahead Tom. no i i agree i mean i think you know whether it's astra or camp spot and all those different property management systems you need to have those in place Mm-hmm. Um, to have a, a connection with the Expedias and Airbnbs that allows you to manage that process effectively and also gives you a kind of a back office component to be able to produce financials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I have a, a question here too. Oh, sorry, Brian. One sec. Just, I think it's very Please. much dependent on what you, again, like we talked about the different types of structures that you're choosing, right? I think it's dependent on what type of property you're running and what kind of exposure you have and how many units sure. you have and all those kinds of things. But um, but don't be afraid to explore your options. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a, I think obviously the default go-to that I would never say anybody not consider first is the camp spots, RDPs, Astras, those kind of places, right? Yeah. Uh, but before you make a final decision, look at your other options. I, I think that there are probably properties that have three to five to 10 tents on piece of land in Texas somewhere or Florida or whatever that could easily get by with just an Airbnb listing all by itself. You're right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there are That's also, a good point. Like I know from a geeky website design perspective, like I can hook up WooCommerce and WordPress and you can take your own reservations with a, a great website designer and charge 2% and keep that for yourself. Not that I'm right. suggesting that that should be done over a camp spot. Absolutely not. Because they have way more property management features and all that kind of stuff. But consider your options and decide what's best for you. You know, Brian, that's a good point. I was looking at more from a size perspective and all that. But if you're, uh, if you, like you said, you have five spots up in, you know, the hill country of Texas. Yeah, you can do your Airbnb and, and that kind of thing and, mm-hmm. and work just fine and have it, have it be very effective for you. 
Yeah, I think one of the nicest things about using those tools is you can really track where your bookings and stuff are coming from. And so that's another great thing that you can kind of shift through over time. You know, maybe you initially start with several different tools and, and you hear that down over time, whatever's, you know, bringing you the most traffic or, or whatever is the best strategy for you. Um, Valerie's asking here, I've heard there are problems with mold with some types of glamping units and to have the mold removed is very expensive. Anyone have advice on this? Um, I will say we did cover this quite a bit actually during the Canadian conference uh, glamping session with, with the uh, comparison session. Yeah, and, and uh, all of our providers, all of our suppliers are really um, cognizant of that issue and all have solutions and, and suggested products and all kinds of things to uh, both mitigate the problem, prevent the problem, um, and, and do any remediation afterwards. Um, I don't I have specifics. If I remember right, I remember that was a specific question because I think Heather Blankenship actually moderated the session, right? And yes. I remember she went, I think she went vendor by vendor and what we landed on was that mold is in most cases, maybe outside of the Arizona desert, going to yeah. be an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think they all had different cleaning products and solutions and the material was resistant to certain types of things and the fabric and all that kind of stuff. So again, we'll have to dive into that maybe on a vendor show. Yeah, well, and I will say if, if Valerie, if you were a conference attendee, you do have access to that session in recorded format via the CCRBC members uh, only website. So you can kind of rewatch that and get those answers specific to, to each of the glamping uh, options that were presented during that session. So what else we got? What else? I, I mean, it just Tom, I'm curious to know. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm just, sorry. Uh, I have a bit of a leg. Oh, we'll just talk over each other this whole time. How about that? Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, Tom, I'm curious to know how, what different types of glamping options your various parks have. Are they all cabins? Do you have some Alfredo tents? How does that look for you? Well, I, I will be honest, and, and honestly, we I can't say that we have the glamping site that it, that we've been talking about here on this show. Okay. Um, we are looking. At, we have, a, like I said earlier, we have nine parks. There are a mm -hmm. couple locations we think we could uh, install something uh, that we would market as glamping, mm -hmm. um, and we do have some land um, that we are looking at uh, that we own that we're considering uh, it as a possible glamping location. Development process is going to take a few months with or a few years, excuse me, with permitting and whatnot. But, um, you know, like I said earlier, this isn't going away and um, there's plenty of space out there to expand and have more players come into play. Um, and so our land that we have, we're, we're looking at, and some more. That's a little bit of a more long-term play. But as far as our existing locations where we have parks, we have cabins uh, at mm -hmm. all our parks. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily call that we uh, what we have is glamping quality mm -hmm. with an experience and upgraded amenities uh, and um, a real unique lodging component. But I think it's the next uh, expansion. For uh, mm -hmm. Besides just growing the number of parks that we manage and or own, but also getting into the glamping space uh, as as a management, third party management and, and or owner. That's great. 
I'm interested to see how unique this actually gets, right? Like, I, th I feel mm -hmm. like we're so much in the infancy of this industry yeah. uh, as far as glamping goes that in five years, like, we're going to look back on this and be like, wow, we didn't even know what the heck we were talking about way back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, You're right, Brian. And then, um, again, I, I know I will reference my previous life experiences. Uh, and that would be called amenity creep. So as, you know, someone develops camping or glamping and, you know, they do, you know, sheets and then, you know, water and all that, then someone's going to go through, you know, the thread count's going to be double, the, the amenities in there are going to be, you know, more expensive, things and more and more things will become prevalent in the glamping experience uh, mm -hmm. just to kind of one-up your neighbor a little bit so that you can be the perceived as the leader in the market when it comes to that experience. And that Great. doesn't necessarily, it could mean a, a quality thing, like an actually material thing from, you know, number of pillows, blankets and, you know, coffee makers, toasters, and all those kinds of things that can, you can go into, or it can mm -hmm. be the experience um, that you can create, um, you know, whatever that may be, given your location, you can create a pretty phenomenal experience. But I, in general, I would, see that we're going to see more and more coming in and it'll just be amenity creep next best thing something cooler neater nicer yeah so mm -hmm. i think i think that's a natural progression with the thread counts yeah. and the pillows and the toasters and all that kind of thing i i'm, I'm thinking outside the box right like i think <laughs> i think um shocking there's a, right I, classic I car with every rental well no 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 like what i'm talking about is like <laughs> Think of all the niches that you could target if you had land in the appropriate place or the ability to market it correctly, right? So here, here's an example. Like I used to have an employee who worked with me, you know, a couple years ago who was a really big into those battle reenactments, right? And he would go and he would get together with thousands of people in a city in Ohio and they would reenact like a medieval battle, right? So imagine if you could set up, if you had a piece of land where all these people were gathering or nearby or you could even start your own festival, and you could create a village with like 200 medieval style tents where everything had suits of armor in it and stuff like that. And you could charge upwards of 500 to a thousand bucks a night for some of those theme type, like really, really theme type activities. And, and again, there has to be a way to make that work year round. Right. But I mean, the sky's the limit of what you could do with some of this stuff. Nothing's preventing you from doing any of that kind of stuff. Right. And so right. I, that's what I'm yeah. trying to start some of the conversations surrounding it because I think there's a the lot of the only thing that would would yeah. stop you is the market, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think there's so much room for that innovation out there that there's I don't know what, I don't want to say it's a danger, but I think there's a one track like here's the tent that's being offered and here's what we can upgrade and there's a kind of a linear progression and and the people that are able to figure out this stuff and think outside the box are, are not necessarily going to be the only people to succeed, of course not, uh, but they're going to have a unique market opportunity here that we're, we're just beginning to understand and imagine, I think. Definitely agree. What happened to your video, Carrie? You went away. I have no idea. <laughs> I remember before the show when my camera stopped working and I was like, hopefully this lasts an hour. <laughs> Apparently I oh, cursed okay. myself. 52 minutes we got. <laughs> So Tom, let's, I'm let's, let's, we've got you here, your expertise, and we want to obviously, I feel like maybe we almost need to do a, a different type of themed glamping show every month, maybe, uh, mm -hmm. focus on different things. 
but but specific to your experience in your parks, I know you said you haven't added that traditional planting experience yet, but you and I did have a conversation the other day where you were talking about considering RV rentals and things like that. So how in your mind do you decide, other than location and the things that we've talked about, right? How do you decide from an ROI perspective or a market perspective that RV rentals or cabins are better than or worse than, not glamping, but yurts or teepees? Because it's all glamping in my mind. Um, you're right. I mean, glamping is a very broad term that a lot of things are going to be uh, dumped into and be called glamping. And that, not saying that's right or wrong. It's just what it is. It's going to be. Right. Um, but so as far as the, you know, what we're looking at, I don't have that location that cre I think for me right now, what we're managing and own, I don't have that location that would categorize as glamping. I have other components that I can put in, but I think location and creating that experience um, are key components to really be, to categorize it as a glamping experience. And I don't have that yet. But uh, once I get that, <laughs> I will definitely uh, look to implement that into that location as quickly as possible. Because I think that's, um, more and more people are embracing this as a way to travel. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, it, uh, to me, it's all about numbers in the sense of more people that it can attract, it's only gonna benefit uh, the performance of that as a business. So with more, more people looking at this as a way to uh, travel, that's, that's good. Um, and they're looking to kind of I think the sustainability component in the sense of there being nature, I'm not talking about something being heated by solar panels or anything like that, but there's a sense of being in nature that correlates to sustainability. And I think more and more people want to achieve that and make themselves feel good about being in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, people still want to be together regardless of what, we experienced in the past 18 months, two years, I think people still want to spend time together, whether it's with family or with family and friends. So I think that's a, an important component to it. And, um, you know, just it's a, it has a very large appeal to doing this as opposed to going to some uh, bricks and mortar location. So for me, once I have that location, I will definitely pursue that because I think those are key components to making sure it's a successful operation. That, that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. All right, so we've got uh, about four minutes left. Let's wrap this up with something interesting, right? I'm gonna put you guys all on the spot, and myself too, a little bit. Um, <laughs> let's, let's forget about for a second all of this stuff that owner operators and people coming into the business are worried about. Let's forget about the land, the development, the regulations, the permits, the ROI, the everything, right? And let's just say, you literally have the opportunity to build anything anywhere and it will be 100% guaranteed success. Themed, not themed, wherever it's at, whatever it's, the target market is, uh, it's guaranteed to be successful. What do you build and why? Area I number. pick a dome, geodesic dome. Not, not, a, not, I'm talking, not, even, not even a type, but like if you could care. build a That's clamping like, property or unit and own and operate and it was guaranteed 100% successful, unlimited yep. funds what would you build and why domes i would do domes i'd also i saw a, there's a park somewhere in europe that is like putting them up in trees like building platforms 
<laughs> putting these clear t dome glamping units up in trees. I, it's amazing to me. Gorgeous. Sold. So okay. I would pick a location. Um, it'd probably have to be in the southeast, uh, excuse me, southwest, only because of the type of uh, weather that exists. But also I'm a skier, snow skier. So if I could build something close that uh, people could go up, you know, sleep in the tent, yurt, whatever you want to call it, and then drive an hour and be skiing, that's the location I'd go to. So here's, here's what I want. I want to create an opportunity or a market that doesn't exist right now. So we, we know that we're broadcasting live on the Canadian Camping and RV Council page and in the group, and we've had a bunch of questions from that group. So here's here's the thing. If I have unlimited funds, I want to build kind of domes like Kara was saying, but I want to build domes that are big enough that you can have like your own yard and maybe a little river running through it. And it's totally heated in the winter. So you can kind of have your own property that's an enclosure that Canadians can go to in the dead of winter or whoever can go to, right? Uh, that they can literally have a summer experience in the winter for a weekend. I think if you could figure out how to do that, and I don't think it's possible, but if you figure out how to do it profitably. Uh, There's like places like, isn't there a ski dome in Japan or something where you can go skiing in the middle of summertime because they've climate controlled this big dome? I don't know. You can do it. Somebody can do it. <laughs> it's done. I'm, yeah, I'm saying, I trust you mm -hmm. to take it to the whole <laughs> next <laughs> level. I mean, I think it's like you've got millions of Canadians, just specifically mm -hmm. speaking, right? Because we're talking about the group who are who are not going south for the summer, who or for the winter, uh, who are in these cities like Toronto and Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton and all those kinds of places, uh, who are like, I mean, can you imagine? The amount of money that you could charge for a dome like that for somebody to get away for a weekend and have a well, summer like real summer experience with a yard and a, like, you missed your chance brian the the border will open and they'll all go south again <laughs> your dome will be empty but i don't think they're all going south i think they're i think there's a different yeah yeah darlene saying dubai that must be where i saw it dubai they have a a, a dome and it's got a ski resort inside but it's like dubai in the desert like right. Dubai is literally like we should be talking to do that. That's the example of like unlimited do whatever you want. You do whatever Dubai. you want, world. Yeah. yeah. That's unlimited funds, no development restrictions. Do whatever that's you basically want. That's what Dubai is. I feel like that's what it is. Every time I hear a story about them. They have a dome so. with a ski resort inside. I'm sure that it's in Dubai. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um it can be done. Get out your wallet. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. Is there anything else you want to add, Tom, before we? No. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, talk about this great and, and very exciting segment in our business. And uh, mm -hmm. hopefully I can tell you soon what our what our next adventure is with Ivy. So. Yay. Right. Can't wait. Yep. We're looking forward to hearing about it. So thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, okay. for watching. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thank yeah. you. Definitely. Thanks, guys. Bye.